Good morning, I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. I want to welcome you to South Park Church, whether you're here in person or watching online or listening to our podcast. We're excited to have you with us. As Kevin said, we're kicking off a new worship series, The Art of Neighboring. And I'm really excited about this because we're joining with over 100 other churches in the Charlotte area uh, with about 50,000 plus people in the churches who are all going to be studying the same thing over the next three weeks. And we think there's something powerful that God's going to honor this, that the Holy Spirit's going to be with us, and that when 50,000 Christians in a city with over 100 churches are focused on the same message from Jesus, that if we apply that message in our everyday lives, that we can transform our city. We can transform our community. God can do great things through us and among us. And so I'm glad you're here today to be a part of that. Uh, if you're watching online or listening on a podcast and you're not in Charlotte, that's okay. These same things apply to your neighborhoods as well. And so wherever you are, I think that God has a special message for us today as we think about what it means to be good neighbors to those people who live around us. So I'm glad to dive in today just by saying in my neighborhood, my personal neighborhood where Laura and the boys and I live, uh, we've been there for 15 years. And so we feel that we've been established in that neighborhood. And we're excited that we've become one of the hubs for children to hang out uh, in our community. So our boys are 11 and 7. And so it's not uncommon for us to have a bunch of kids just over playing basketball, riding bikes or skateboards, jumping on the trampoline shooting Nerf darts or whatever, and, and we feel good about that. We, we like to know where our children are. We like to know who the kids they play with are. We get to know their families and parents, those on our streets and those who live in the, the rest of the part of the neighborhood. And so we feel very blessed by that. We're grateful for that, and that's something that, that we, we try to honor God with by, by welcoming all those kids there. So that's a lot of positive. Now, there's also some negative things that come with that. Some of the kids uh, that come, we, we don't get a chance to, to know their parents in a, in a deep, meaningful way just because they don't want that. And so that's kind of challenging. Also, when other children come into our yard or to our house, they have different rules in their homes and their, their backgrounds that don't always mesh with ours. Sometimes they say words that, that we don't want our kids saying, so we have to kind of balance that. And and then there's the, you know, the, the, the human side of us that sometimes we feel taken advantage of, that people just send their kids to us for free babysitting. And so, you know, sometimes that breeds sort of some resentment, honestly. And so there's good in that and there's, there's, there's negative in that. And so that's just kind of where we are in our lives, in, in our neighborhood. And, and most of the kids that come, we really like and get along with. Uh, but last year, there, there was a, um, a family that lived in the neighborhood, not on our street, but an adjoining street that had been in the neighborhood for a little while. And uh, we found out that they have a single mom, uh, that their dad lives in another state. Uh, she has five kids in the house. She has a couple of daughters uh, who are early, late teens, early 20s, has a son who's in middle school. And that's how we met the family. He would come down and play basketball with us. Uh, and then they have uh, two young children uh, in kindergarten and third grade. And, um, and, and these kids all look older than they are. They're just these big, strong kids. And so um, they, they soon, though, kind of got a negative reputation in the neighborhood. The mom's always working hard trying to provide for her family and entrust the older daughters to take care of the younger kids. But a lot of times they're on their phones doing their own things. And so they don't know where their younger siblings are. And they end up all over the neighborhood. Um, and, and these kids, I think they come from a rough background. They, they say a lot of cuss words. They like to fight uh, other kids in the neighborhood, including our kids. So you know, we have to watch out for that. They don't always bathe, so they don't smell good. And so 
they've, they've kind of got this reputation of, oh, here comes this family. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the, the play or read the book, The Best Christmas Pageant Ever. I know Christmas is coming up pretty soon, but there's a family in that, in that story called the Herdman family, and they're just this wild bunch of kids that have a bad reputation, and they're getting in all kinds of trouble. That was like this family in our neighborhood. But we still felt that, you know, we needed to welcome them like any other, other children in the neighborhood, so we tried our best to do that and, and, and try to navigate that situation. Well, one Saturday, uh, I was home, and we usually go, when it's nice weather, the boys and I go into the woods. We have some woods behind our house, and there's a creek down there, and there's a lot of cool rocks to climb, so we go into the woods usually on Saturday, and some kids across the street go with us. They're old enough to go on their own. We know their parents. They have permission to go into the woods, and so we usually like to do that. So this Saturday, my boys said, hey, Dad, let's go into the woods, and we, we want to do that, and and, and, and we had all, this, all these kids in, in our yard, and, you know, I can't take like 10 or 15 kids into the woods with me because I don't have permission. I don't want the responsibility, honestly, to keep up with all those kids by myself. I don't think that's a safe thing to do. So um, just the boys were talking to me off to the side. So a little bit later, I'm like, okay, guys, we, we need to go. Everybody needs to go back home. So we went into the house for a little while, and then we went into the woods. Friends from across the street met us in the woods. We walked down to the creek. And I had just a rough week. I was super tired. Usually I get in the creek with the boys or climb the rocks with the boys. But this Saturday, I just needed some me time. So we have some of those hammocks that you can hang in the trees with the straps. It doesn't do any harm to trees. And so I carried my hammock into the woods. I put it up on the, on the two trees. And they are sitting right by the creek, this beautiful scene. The boys are playing in the creek, playing on the rocks. I can sit there and just kind of relax in the hammock and watch them do their thing, thinking, okay, God, thank you. Finally, a good break this week. And... Uh, and then I heard this sound. I turned around and I heard some tromping, and I'm like, "Is that a deer?" So you know, I get excited about that. And all of a sudden, I hear this 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 scream, "Luke and Nathan!" And it was the Herdman kids, and so they had they'd gone home, but evidently had heard that we were going in the woods. They'd never been in the woods before, and it's the kindergartner and the third grader, and they just set out in the middle of the woods. I'm thinking, "Oh my God." Come on, God, can you just throw me a bone right one day where I don't have to do anything and not be responsible for a ton of kids? Can, can I just have a day to myself? And so I'm like, all right, everybody, shh, be quiet. Maybe they won't find us, right? The woods are big. Maybe they'll get scared of the big bad wolf or whatever, right? I'm just going to lay in my hammock. I'm going to be quiet. Let's all be quiet. Luke, Nathan, they spotted us. And sure enough, they kept tromping through the woods. I'm like, they're going to get tired. They're not going to want to come out here. They, they come up, and I'm like, okay. So I get out of the hammock, I get down, I've got to make sure these kids don't drown in the creek because they can't swim, and, and they begin to play with the boys, and they had a great time, and, and I was glad for them, and we went back home, and uh, I started feeling guilty for the, you know, the way that I felt, trying to you know, exclude them or hide from them. I'm glad they had such a good time, but there was a still part of me that down deep just resented the fact that I'm babysitting these kids, their parents don't, or their mom doesn't know where they are, the sisters don't know where they are, and just kind of ruined my afternoon. Not a very Christian attitude. Not a very neighborly thing to do. And so uh, that was not one of my most proud moments as a neighbor uh, to these children in, in our community. So I'm just, I'm wondering if you're like me, uh, who are your neighbors? And I'm guessing you probably have neighbors like I had that, that you just love. You love to hang out with. They're fun to be with. You're glad for their kids to come over. Uh, you want to spend time with them. And 
and you probably have some people in your neighborhood that, that you know simply by name maybe, but you, you, they live across from you. You can wave to them, but you're glad that you don't have to you know, spend energy with them. You know, hey, it's good to see you. I'm glad you can't hear what I'm saying because you're so far away. I'm glad I'm going to go in my house right now and shut the door and I don't have to spend time with you. You know, you've, you've got neighbors like that. Um, and, and then there are neighbors that you have probably that you just you don't have anything to do with. Right? They, they don't like you, you don't like them, you see them coming, you know, they, they ignore you, you ignore them. Right? I'm guessing we all have different sorts of levels of neighbors in our community. So in your life right now, just picture in your mind those neighbors that live around you. Are they friendly? They're just kind of the waving kind of neighbors or the ones that just kind of snub you, that sort of thing. And I think a question that I would ask us to wrestle with that these other hundred churches are wrestling with today is, what does God ask of us uh, when it comes to neighbors? What, what's God's expectation for us to, to, to deal with the people who actually are our neighbors and, and live around us? Now, it's easy to, to be nice to the ones that we like. It's easy to distance ourselves from the ones we just want to kind of wave to. But sometimes, you know, we have to deal with difficult people that live beside us, not just every day, but every week and every month and every year. Right? What's God's expectation of us to be neighbors, as followers of Jesus. Uh, and so I want to dive into that because Jesus has some very important things to teach us today. And we're going to find out that being a good neighbor is really high on the priority list for Jesus and, and how he outlines what it means to look like to have a, a life that is, is full. So we're going to start today in the Gospel of Luke. A Gospel is the good news of Jesus. It talks about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and Luke uh, was a Christian in the first century, uh, an eyewitness, and so he wrote the story of Jesus that we're going to share today. And we're going we're to see Jesus is talking to uh, a religious person, a religious leader who was interested in the law of Moses. God gave the Jewish people the law of Moses. There are 613 commands that God wanted them to follow. This guy's an expert. He studies the law, and he wants to test Jesus to see if he understands the law. So we pick up on their conversation in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right? I want to live forever, that's great. And what must I do to get that? So as we think about in our own lives, we believe in the afterlife. We believe Jesus rose from the dead, that we can live forever in the kingdom of, of God. And that's something that we all aspire to. Uh, Jesus also teaches us that it's not just when we die that we begin to live that life, but when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that we begin to live eternal life now, right? That we can live life to the full now that's going to continue on into eternity. And so this guy's asking Jesus, how can I grab that? How can I get this life to the full? How can I live this eternal life? So Jesus counters with a question. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? Right? You're reading the same law. I've got the same law. How do you think you need to receive eternal life? And so the guy answered in verse 27, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so the 613 commands, these are two really important commands that probably we need to look at in order to have eternal life, life to the full. And so this guy is right on. Later in the Gospels, Jesus is going to be asked a question of the 613 commands, which is the most important? And Jesus says these two commands. He says the, the most important one is love God with all that you are, right? Your heart, mind, soul, strength, all that kind of stuff. And then Jesus says a second one is like it. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. And so we often refer to these as the great commandment. We kind of lump them in together. There's two commandments, love God with everything, love neighbor as self, but they're kind of under the umbrella of the great commandment, the greatest commandment. And so that's what the guy says to him, all right? And so then Jesus says, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the religious guy wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, well, and who is my neighbor? Now, there, there's something going on here underneath the scenes that, that, that we're not privy to, but I think Jesus understood it, and I think the religious leader was asking a specific question uh, because in, in some of the other teachings of Judaism in this time period, there, there was other things that were going about that were being written down and, and adhered to as tradition in addition to the 613 commands, a lot of other things going on. And one of them was uh, that, that the Jewish people weren't really to love or to have anything to do with sinners, right? people who are, are far from God, specifically people who are not Jewish. And so if you're not of our religion, if you're committing sins and you're not asking God for forgiveness, then we don't have to have anything to do with you, right? So we're supposed to, we're supposed to love and take care of other people who are like us, other Jewish people, same religion. Uh, and so if we mess up, we have a sacrificial system that we can be forgiven for. And so basically what's underlying this question is, you know, there are neighbors and there are non-neighbors, right, Jesus? So I'm supposed to love my Jewish neighbors, these religiously faithful neighbors, and those who are not, I don't really have to love them or take care of them, right? That's kind of the wink-wink to Jesus, right? So, you know, who is my neighbor? So now Jesus is going to tell a story, a parable in response to this, and he's going to kind of, kind of redefine the, the notion of who a neighbor is. And so let's watch what Jesus does as he tells this story in response to this question, you know, who exactly is my neighbor? So in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. So this road from Jerusalem to Jericho uh, was a a well-traveled road. It was an important road for commerce and doing things like that. But it could be a very dangerous road, 17-mile stretch. It was through a rocky kind of desert. And on the sides of of the road were some of these caves and, and, and rocks. And these robbers would hide out in the caves. And they were ready to attack, especially if someone was by themselves or not in a group or at the wrong time of the day. So it's a dangerous road, kind of like going to a bad part of Charlotte in the middle of the night by yourself. Just not a, you know, sometimes not the smartest thing to do. So this Jewish man's walking down. He gets robbed. He gets mugged. He gets beat up. They strip him. They take all of his stuff and they leave him, right, half dead, right? He's probably going to die, that sort of thing. That's the situation. So verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Not what you would expect from a religious person, from a holy man, a priest of God. You would expect if anyone would have compassion for this man laying on the side of the road, it would be the priest. But the priest kind of sidestepped it. You know, I'd love to help you, but I've got to get to worship you, and I've got to finish my sermon up. I've, you know, I've got staff meeting in about 10 minutes. I've got a leadership team meeting after that. You know, we're packing meals today. I would love to help you. I just, I've got too much to do. We're not sure why the priest didn't stop, but it's kind of disappointing. It's shocking that the religious leader doesn't take time to live out his faith and help this, this person. Maybe he thought he was a non-Jew and thought, well, you're a sinner. I don't need to help you. But uh, I think the guy was supposed to be Jewish. So anyway, whatever reason the priest 
doesn't help him. So verse 32 says, So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Now a Levite is kind of like a worship leader, big in the worship kind of culture of Israel. So that'd be kind of like Cole, our worship leader, saying, you know what, I'd love to help you, but I got to get to rehearsal. Or, you know, we got worship in just a few minutes. And, you know, after that, I'd love to come back, but the Panthers are playing today at one o'clock at home. And I'd love to go see that. Or, you know, I'm a newlywed and my wife loves to go apple picking and we're going to do that today. And so uh, I'm sorry, I I can't stop and help you. Uh, Now, of course, if that was Cole, he he would throw all that away and he would stop and, and he would help the person for sure, for real. Um, but this worship leader had none of that, and so just walked on by. So, verse 33, third person. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, I've read some interpretations of the passage of Scripture that the story Jesus is telling was, was a, kind of a popular story that, hey, somebody gets hurt, the priest doesn't help him, the worship leader doesn't help him. The hero ends up being usually a Jewish member of the congregation, an everyday Jewish person from the congregation saying, well, you know, our religious leaders can't do it, but, but the everyday Jewish person comes to the rescue and saves the person. And, and so that might have been an understanding that many people would have had. Maybe the religious lawyer was waiting for that to be the end of the story saying, uh-huh, I was right, you know, that kind of thing. But Jesus totally turns the story on, up, upside down. And he says it wasn't the priest, it wasn't the, the worship leader. He doesn't say that it's a Jewish you know, member of the congregation. He says it, a Samaritan stopped to help him. Now we hear that today in the 21st century, and we don't know the difference between a Samaritan and a Hittite and a Babylonian or a Shuhite. I mean, it's, it's, all these names start to run together. So, so who is a Samaritan? Well, the Jewish people in the first century and the Samaritans, they live side by side, and, and they hated each other. They hated each other. So the, the, the Israelites earlier in their history had been, they lost a war that they were in. The, the country came in, conquered them, took a lot of the people, especially like the rich and the noble people, away into captivity. Then they repopulated Israel with other people from their country and other countries that they had defeated. And so it was kind of a mixture. And so the, the people from Israel that remained, rather than staying you know, in, within their own culture and marrying only Jewish people, they began to intermarry with these foreigners. And so when the people of Israel that were taken into captivity, when their descendants came back and they discovered that the Jewish people who had stayed had, had intermarried with people who were not Jewish, they were mad about that. They were upset about that. And, and, and they begin to you know, use slurs, like, and they would call them like half-breeds, which I think that's a terrible phrase or saying, but, but that's their view of them. Like, you weren't faithful to who you were as a race, as a people, and you've intermingled, and so they hated each other. Uh, it wouldn't be uncommon even if a Samaritan stepped foot on your property in the dust or the dirt and they left a footprint for you to put some straw in their footprint and light it on fire saying, I don't want even a trace of you to be on my property. Right? That, it's like Duke and Carolina hate amplified like by 100. Right? Clemson and South Carolina hate, right? you ratchet it up. Right? So when the Samaritan comes in here, that would be like if Hillary Clinton was the one that got beaten up, that Donald Trump comes to her rescue or vice versa. Right? This, this is like, we don't like you kind of stuff. It's like somebody from the National Rifle Association helping out someone who's lobbying for gun control or vice versa, and you, you ramp it up by like 100. Right? These people hated each other. So for the hero to be a Samaritan really had to have caught that religious lawyer way off guard. Right? So the Samaritan is the one who stops to help. 
Verse 34, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, that's money, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Right, so, so the Samaritan went way beyond the call of duty, using his own money, taking him to a hotel, touching him, to, you know, trying to heal him up. Right? And so now Jesus says then in verse 36 to the religious lawyer, which of these three, right? you had two religious people, a Samaritan, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Who was the true good neighbor? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Can't even, can't even say the word Samaritan, won't even let the word Samaritan come across his lips. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, right? Jesus told him, you go and do likewise. So this is an amazing story that Jesus tells. He turns everything upside down on who we think our neighbors are, right? The Jewish man thought for sure uh, our neighbor would be the Jewish priest, the, the Jewish religious worship leader, right? Would help another Jewish person who's been beaten up, right? But it, that's not who it was. It was a Samaritan. It was the hatred, the enemy who came and did that. And so Jesus said, this is, is who the neighbor is, right? So what Jesus does here is he redefines what a neighbor is, who a neighbor is, right? It's, it's not someone who's of our religion. It's not someone who doesn't do wrong things, right? A neighbor is anyone who has need, right? Uh, a neighbor is anyone who's close to us, right? It's right there in front of us, right? The, a neighbor is, is whoever we come across, whoever we come across who has a need, right? So it doesn't matter if you're male or female, if you're rich or poor, if you're black or white, if you're Christian or not. It, it doesn't matter if you're young or old, right? A neighbor is someone that we come across that has need, all right? And so Jesus makes that very clear, and that is a distinct difference than what the religious leader thought he was going to say. And it reminds us that to be a good neighbor, we have to keep our eyes and our ears open for situations where people are going to be in need, and we have to have compassionate hearts. Right? A good neighbor has open eyes, open ears, and a compassionate heart. It also means that to love God, we must love God on every level. Right? To love God is not just you know, coming to church or praying in our one-on-one -on -one time to God. To love God is included on every level, even the most basic of level of humanity. Right? Someone's laying in the dirt we're expected to help them out. If someone's hurting, we're expected to help them. And so Jesus redefines what a neighbor is, who a neighbor is, and what it means to love God. Right? So again, I invite you to think about who are, who are your neighbors? Who do you come across in Charlotte, right? At work, at school, in your neighborhoods. All right? Right? Who are the people that God has around us that we are supposed to be caring for and taking care of them? You know, as, as I think about it, I, I begin to get intimidated and overwhelmed with some of the need that's happening in our city. We live in an amazing city. It's an awesome city, but there's a lot of need here. There's a lot of poverty. There's homelessness. There's racial dis, uh, the, um, unrest in our, in our city. Uh, there's, there's people who are, their marriages are falling apart. There are people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol. There are people in way over their head in debt. Uh, there are families that are, that are stressed, and, and you name it. There, there's, there's a lot of need in our city, and so how in the world can we begin to be good neighbors and begin to try to meet some of that need as a church, as small groups, as families, and, and as individuals? It, when you look at it, it can be overwhelming. So today I want us maybe to start in, in a smaller way to think how can we make a basic difference with just people that God puts in our way. 
right? And, and, and I want us to, to, as we think about the, the so what, so what does this scripture mean for me in my life? So what's the big idea? So what's the point? So what, how does this affect me? I, I kind of want to, I want to, I want to use a question that, that these hundred churches are asking all their congregations today, kind of the point of the message. What if we took Jesus' great commandment literally? What if we took the, the, the great commandment of Jesus literally to love our neighbors as ourselves? What if we looked at who are our literal neighbors? The ones who live beside us on our street. The ones who live a, across the street from us. The ones who are in the apartment complex with us. Who are the people that literally live beside us? Now remember, Jesus said neighbors, anybody we come into contact with, right? Anybody that has a need. But what if we focused just for a while, on the people who are literally where we are, right? Physically, in our, on our street, next door to us, across the street, above us, below us, right? Same building, same neighborhood, same street, right? What if we were to focus on them? What would that look like to love our neighbors as ourselves? And I think ultimately it, it means... Right? How do we do that? Does that mean that you just want everybody to come to our church? Does that mean loving our neighbor? That'd be great, right? But that, that, I think God takes it even more basic than that. Who are the people that live around us? What are their needs and how can I help them? Right? If, if they're stressed and they're wanting to talk about it, could I lend them an ear? If they're sick, could I, could, could I make them a meal? If, if they need to go somewhere and they don't have a babysitter, could I watch their kids? Right? What are the basic needs of the people who live around us? Right? Are they not able to rake their yard? Could I physically, could I come help them rake the yard or help them find a service that could do that? Right? Who are the people around us? Do we have a relationship enough to know what's going on in their life to where we could speak into their lives, live into their lives, and, and, and share the love of God through our actions? And hopefully that might lead to helping them spiritually. It might lead to a God conversation. It might lead to coming to church. But I think God's talking about who are the people in our neighborhoods and, and what are their needs and how... Can I help them through the power of God? So I'd like to challenge you, as, as 50,000 people in Charlotte are going to be challenged this week, uh, to, to go home. If you don't yet already know, find out the names of the people who live in the eight closest houses or rooms or apartments around you. And to, and to help with that, we've got a tool for you today, kind of a, a little take home. This is a magnet, uh, and it looks like a tic-tac-toe board. It says, Who is my neighbor? And your house happens to be right in the center square. Uh, and so what I'd like to challenge you to do this week before you come back to church next Sunday, uh, find the eight closest houses, the eight closest apartments, whatever. Find out who lives there and write down their names in these squares. Right? Just find out who they are. Before we can be neighbors with people, we got to know who they are. We need to be able to call them by name. And as you do that this week, I invite you to pray for your neighbors by name. Right? Put this on your refrigerator. Put it somewhere magnetic. Right? And we would love for you to start, take a first step, getting to know your neighbors. Now, for some of you, you got a lot of homework to do. You might, you might not know your neighbors. For some of you who are like me, you might have lived where you live for a long time, and, and you know your neighbors, but still, let's write their names down. Let's be praying for them as a first step, because I think that's a great way for us to begin to care for our neighbors. We need to know who they are. So I invite you to pick one of those up as you leave today and, and take this seriously. Get the names down, and let's start praying for our literal, physical neighbors who live around us. Um, there's another passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today. 
uh, that was recommended in, in this series, and I want to walk through that. And it comes from the book of Acts, which was also written by the same guy who wrote Luke. He just wrote one big book. Since then, we've chopped it in two, made it into two books. The book of Acts is about the early church as it gets started in the first century. It's the actions of the apostles, the early church leaders. Uh, and so Paul has this to say in Acts 17, verse 26 through 27. Paul is a first century pastor who started a lot of churches. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. And God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Now, the Apostle Paul was in the city of Athens, which is in Greece, and he was talking to a lot of people who didn't believe in, in the one true God. They believed in lots of false gods, and they worshipped lots of idols. And Paul was trying to tell them that they're worshipping the wrong gods. There's only one God. Let me tell you about who that God is, and He loves you, and, and He's in control of the whole world. He has established nations all around the world. And I think the message that Paul's saying is, right, God's in control. The one God's in control. You really need to check Him out. Don't worry about these false gods. Check it out, right? And so... I think that's what Paul's doing. One of, the, one of the translations of that, or one of the commentaries in, in this study that we're doing, you know, took it a step further and said that, that God has placed all of us in our homes specifically for a reason so that we can reach those people around us. Um, I'm not sure that that's what Paul had to say. Uh, I'm not sure that I agree with that translation or that interpretation because uh, I really believe in free will, that God gives us the ability to choose, that that I can choose to live in this house or you can choose to live in that apartment, that sort of thing. Uh, and I'm not so sure that, that God would place certain people in certain areas of the world because they're entirely too dangerous. Uh, there are billions of people who don't have a home, and I don't think that God wants or places people in homelessness. I've, I've got a picture of a little boy up here uh, in a housing project in, in America that uh, he got sick because the housing project that he lived in was so full of mold uh, that it made him very sick. And so I, I don't think that God puts people in substandard housing. I, I don't believe that. Um, and uh, I don't think that, you know, God gave the Queen of England, like she has, I don't know how many castles she has, but she has all these beautiful castles and they have hundreds of rooms that sit empty a day while there are, you know, millions of people uh, in her country who probably, you know, are homeless. You know, I, I don't, have anything against the Queen of England. I think she's a good lady, but I don't think God gave her all those castles just to sit there empty. And so, you know, I don't know that God has placed you and me in a specific house because uh, there's billions of people that don't have homes or whatever. But what I do think is that wherever we find ourselves, whether we live in an apartment or whether we live uh, in, a, in, a, in a duplex or we have our own house or we live in a suburb or a gated community, I do think that wherever God uh, is with us in that house is that God wants us to reach our neighbors, however we got there, right? Whether we chose to move there, whether God, you know, led our heart to, to get us there, however we get there, I think God says, okay, you're here, who are your neighbors, and how are you going to care for them? Because neighbors, for me, are in the top two, right? Love God, love neighbor. It's a, it's a top two thing. So in my own life, getting back to the, the Herdman family, right? That's, you know, not their name. That's just my name for them and um, probably not a kind name for them. But, right, so they found me out in the woods and uh, begrudgingly spent some time with them. Well, you know, from that point on, they just kept coming to our house. And they just kept coming to our house. And God did begin to work on my heart. He'd already worked on Laura's heart. She's got a huge heart. And, and so we really tried to welcome those kids in, in, into our into our. 
our family, I guess you would say. And, and so I would come home and it wouldn't be uncommon for Laura to be out in the backyard with those kids planting flowers, getting in the dirt, or in the kitchen baking cookies. And, you know, that we really grew to love those kids. And I think they really grew to love us and, and to be a part of our, our cul-de-sac culture down there. Um, and then earlier this year, they moved away and they were, they just overnight, they were gone, right? And so now we have this brokenness in our hearts that they're gone. Uh, we didn't really get to say a proper goodbye. We're not sure where they moved to. Um, and I just, I just hope in their hearts as, as they grow up and they look back on their time in our neighborhood that, that they will say, you know, there was a family in a cul-de-sac with some kids whose mom really loved them a whole lot and, and their mean kind of grumpy father came around to liking them as well. You know, that, uh, man, God puts, brings us together. I don't, I don't know how it all works together, but, you know, when, when we're there and there's people around us, however we got there, I think God says, okay, you're here, they're here, I want you to care for them. And so I would ask that you take this seriously. Who are the people that you live with, near, by, right beside you, right? Who are the ones that you love? Who are the ones that you say hello to? Who are the ones you just can't stand? And, and to begin to say, God, I'd like to see them as you see them. Right? Because God, you're, you're the ultimate neighbor. You left your home, your, your kingdom of heaven, and you came to the earth, right, in the form of Jesus, right? You loved us so much, you wanted to move into our neighborhood, right? God, and you, and you gave your life for us so that we could be in a right relationship with you, right? God, help me to see the other people in my neighborhood as worthy of you dying for them. And, and help me to have an attitude, right, where I can smile, I can be nice, I can find out who they are. I, help me take one step, God, into one step further than, than what I'm doing to be a good neighbor, right? So I just, I would invite you begin to, 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 to wrestle with that. And for some of you, this comes easy. And for some of you, it's a mixed bag. And for some of you, you're going to be kicking and screaming. I understand that. Uh, but I think that if, if loving our neighbor is a top two thing for God, we really got to look at that. And we really need to examine that. So I would like to invite you to, to join me in a prayer right now to say this out loud. Uh, for us really to have a heart for our neighbors. Um, uh, let's, let's pray this together. God, give me your heart for the people that are in the closest proximity to me. Let me see them as you see them. Awaken me to the things that I have been too busy or too distracted to see. Amen. What if we took Jesus' great commandment literally? What if we went and we found out who our neighbors are, we write their names down, we start praying for them, and we find out that we actually can love them? As we think about that, I would encourage you to remember Jesus and his example of being a neighbor. That he left heaven, he came to the earth, he lived on the earth, he taught, he, he partied with people, he went to parties, he, he hung out, he, he fed people, he healed people, and then he gave his life for us so that we can be forgiven the wrong things that we do, we can receive life to the full now, and we can live forever in the kingdom of heaven. When we, when we say, Jesus, God, I'm sorry for living without you. Please forgive me of my wrongdoing. Come and be my Savior. Come and live in my home. Live in my heart. Be, be the closest neighbor that I can have. Right? God gives us all that good stuff. But he doesn't want to stop with just us. He wants us to share that with others. And so today, I'm glad that we can remember Jesus' example. And remember the last time he was with his disciples, like they were his closest neighbors, his 12 disciples, and he, he was at a meal with them, and he took a loaf of bread, and he broke it, and he gave it to them and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. 
as often as you do this, remember me. And he took a cup of wine and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take and drink. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many so that your sins may be forgiven. As often as you do this, remember me. Now that sounds weird, but what was going on was, was Jesus was kind of foreshadowing that he was going to die on a cross, that his body would be broken, that his blood would, sh- would be shed because he loves us and he wants to be in a right relationship with us. He wants us to live life to the full and live forever in the kingdom of heaven. That's why he became our neighbor. That's why he left heaven to come to the earth so that we could, could be in a right relationship with God. And, and when he came back to life, right, he defeats all the junk and he gives us the opportunity to receive this gift of, of life to the full, this eternal life. And so today, we're going to celebrate that. And if you have your, your packet that you were handed when, when you came in today, if you pull that out, we're going to use that in just a minute. If you don't have one, if you'll raise your hand, I'll invite the ushers to, to come to, to do that for you. But let's first, let's just let's have a prayer about this together. Gracious and ever-loving God, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross. That you moved into the neighborhood, God. You moved into our neighborhood so that you could lead us into yours. God, thank you for dying for us so that our wrongdoing can be forgiven. God, please now hear our silent confessions of the things that we have done against you and the things that we've done against our neighbors, God, that, that we need to be sorry for. We thank you, God, for your, your gentleness. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your grace, your unmerited favor. We, we thank you, God, for a fresh start today. We thank you, God, for the kingdom of life, the kingdom of heaven. And we ask you, God, especially today, to help us to be good neighbors to those people who live right beside us and beyond. God, we ask that this bread would become the body of Christ broken for us, this grape juice, the blood of Christ shed for us. In Christ's holy name, amen. To receive communion today, you don't have to be a member of our church. You don't have to be a baptized Christian. This is God's gift to you. This piece of bread represents, it symbolizes the body of Jesus. And this grape juice symbolizes the blood of Jesus. That that he moved into our neighborhood so that we could live in his. So that we can find forgiveness and meaning in life. And so when we receive this today, what, what you're doing is you're saying, Yes, God, I invite you to be my neighbor. Come and live in me and help me to live in you. So if that sounds like something that you're open for, I would invite you to to peel back the top uh, layer here to get this piece of bread and know that this is the body of Jesus broken for us. And now the grape juice. Knowing this is the blood of Jesus shed for us. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for being our neighbor, for moving into our neighborhood. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for life to the full. God, help us now to examine how we can be good neighbors to all that we come into contact with. But especially this week, God, those who literally are our neighbors, right on the same street, in the same building, God, give us hearts for them. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.